Sangamir. Caitlin here. All right. This is an exciting week. Today is our 100 episode week, which means we have done 100 Flip My Funnel episodes and we wanted to replay the best episodes for that day. So each day throughout this week, you're going to hear something, someone incredible talking about some really interesting things. And today's was an episode that we had with Matt Hines. He spoke at one of the Flip My Funnel conferences and the topic was eight keys for integrating ABM with your sales team. It was a really good topic. He killed it. He crushed it. And he's going to be speaking on the August 8th conference at the uh, at, in Boston. So we yeah. are really excited. So hear this podcast out. If you like him, you can actually meet him in person and listen to him in person at the Boston conference. Speaking of the Boston Conference, so we're doing a really incredible special this week for, again, our conference, Boston, August 8th. It's going to be incredible. Um, We are selling and giving away 100 VIP experience or regular tickets for $100 off the regular price. And the prices are going to keep going off. So this is literally the cheapest that you can get them in the conference. We're actually giving away 100 bucks in a way. We we are literally giving away hundred dollars. All right, this better you better buy it. Yeah, <laughs> we <laughs> are not gonna do that again. All right, so hundred bucks for the whole week, just this week. Yes, just this week. But um, so check out the promo code and the links in the description. The promo code is one zero zero podcast, aka one hundred podcast. Yep. All right. We'll see you. Matt Hines is the man. He talks about really interesting things on ABM and sales teams. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. Whether you're just getting started in your career or you're looking for advanced strategies and tactics, this podcast is for you. So we're going to talk about integration between ABM programs and your sales team's target account uh, program. And what I like about this conference that I've seen so far today is this really isn't a conference about ABM. Like, we're just talking about good marketing, right? I love the idea of the marketing qualified accounts. To me, ABM is a nice way, forcing function to get sales and marketing teams working together. And ultimately, I think what will come out of this, and you know, you hear John Miller talk about this a lot, is that we're going to be more focused on an account orientation to our marketing. Most ABM programs are still us just marketing to individuals at the right accounts. There's no real level of coordination around that. We aren't measuring how well we're penetrating accounts. We're still measuring the leads, the individuals, right? So a lot of this, what we're going to talk about over the next about 20 minutes or so, this isn't just ABM. This is just smart best practice for how to integrate with what the sales team is doing, right? This goes beyond just having the same goals. We'll talk about that as well. But the first piece that I'll talk about is just making sales an early partner and collaborator. Hopefully, if you're creating an account-based marketing program, for instance, you're not walking into the sales team's room and saying, hey, guess what? We've got this great new idea. We are going to market to our target accounts, and we're going to focus on them. And I'm wondering if that's something that you guys do as well, right? They will laugh you out of the room. Better to go in and say, hey, I know that you guys have a target account program. We've never really had alignment between what marketing's done and what sales is doing. Why don't we put those programs together? Tell me about what you're doing from a target account standpoint. What does your target account sales program look like so we can align our marketing behind that? Make sales the leaders. Build your program behind them. Now, there may be flaws in the way they've built their target account program, and we'll talk about some of those flaws here in a minute. But we have trained our sales counterparts not to trust us, right? We've trained them not to trust us because we talk about our lead volume and we get excited and we get it. You know, the sales team at the end of the month and the end of the quarter is still grinding in a way and trying to hit their sales number while marketing's off at the bar having a happy hour because they met their retweet goal. Now, that may be a little, uh, a little unfair, 
But like, it's like there's, there's something to be said by that, right? I mean, I think we've seen a couple examples on stage today of, you know, sales teams saying we're not getting anything from marketing while their marketing counterparts are up on stages like this, you know, explaining like how great the job they're doing from a marketing standpoint. Like there's not alignment there, right? So I think it's better as an approach, even if sales, what sales doing is not perfect, start with their program. Start with what they're doing and build a program and build your engagement around that. This is a stat from about a year and a half ago from a company called Demand Metric, and it shows the impact and the correlation between sales and marketing teams working together and the likelihood that those organizations are actually hitting their number. And I like this chart for a variety of reasons. One, it's a direct correlation. And two, it's not black and white. This isn't all or nothing. If you take nothing else away from this day, it's that like you're, you probably have notebooks already full of a ton of ideas. Pick one or two and get started. Don't feel like you really need to reinvent the wheel and do everything all at once. Little pieces of, of improvement, little tactical changes can add up over time and start to move you from the right to the left of this chart. Too many organizations don't have a common set of definitions and objectives around what they're trying to achieve. Do you and your sales organization agree, even if you're moving towards a marketing qualified account, do you agree with what that means? Do you have a common belief in sort of what, the, what a target account looks like? Do you have the same objectives? If I asked you today, you know, show of hands, how many of you have a lead goal that correlates directly with the sales team's goal? How many of you have done that math together? A couple people, right? So you can do this in a very simple mathematical way. Like for me as a math marketer, marketing doesn't start with a creative brief. It doesn't start with a PowerPoint deck. It starts with the math. So you may not be able to see this super well, but basically you can say, look, how many, how many leads do we need to generate to generate X number of opportunities to generate Y number of sales? So we, here, everything in yellow, you can input. Everything else auto-calculates. So I'm inputting in something like this to say, okay, I need each one of these reps, reach one of these teams, reach one of these business units to do X amount of sales. X amount of sales times the average deal size is, how many, is how, what your number is. I expect a pipeline that needs to be 3 to 4X what the sales number is. So you're, I'm expecting a 25 to 33% conversion rate. And then I'm expecting about 5% of those leads to convert into opportunities. That's the math. You can make it more complicated. One of the best ways to make it a little more complicated is add sales cycle length, right? If your deals take three months or six months or nine months to close, make sure you're modeling this so the leads are generated three or six or nine months before you actually need them to close. But do this math. This math, if you haven't done it, will probably scare you because of the volume of leads you need, especially if you assume those are qualified leads. But I can't tell you how many times I've seen marketing organizations say, wow, we hit our lead number, and salesman comes, comes and says, yeah, fine, but that's not enough. Your lead number may be based on what budget you had or what you generated last year times 10%. That's meaningless unless it actually helps you hit your number. On top of that, we talked about having a common set of definitions. How many of you have an agreed upon set of lead and opportunity stages between sales and marketing? All right, just show of hands. Every time I do this, I get a few more hands going up, but like it has never reached even close to 50% of the room. So if you agree on what those names are, many organizations have the same names because we're all using Salesforce, we're all using Marketo, there's a name of that somewhere. But in most cases, people don't have an agreement on what the definition is. Use a chart like this. Anything in this, in this presentation that looks like a spreadsheet probably is. I'm happy to give a copy of this to anyone if you want to take this and modify it. You've got the stage name. You've got a definition of what it means to be at that stage. And then probably more important to me is what is sales job and what is marketing's job at each one of those stages. Sometimes marketing has no job. Sometimes sales has no job, depending on the group. If you can agree between sales and marketing, if you can sit down and you can agree on the math and you agree on this, that is a foundation you can build off of. Now, you're still going to go have to go out and you're going to have to build trust among your sales organization. 
in a way where they haven't trusted you before. But this become a foundation you can go back to. Number three is building that set of targets. So this is a little more specific to ABM, but again, like who are the companies that we care about? Are there companies we don't want to sell to? Are there deals that are bad deals for us that we don't want to go after, that we don't want to market to, that we don't want to follow up on, that we don't even want to count as qualified leads? You know, your way you filter this, you know, you think a lot, of, a lot of times we look at the individuals that we're targeting and don't think it's necessarily about the organizations we care about. In the organizations you particularly want to sell to, who are the roles that you care about? Who are the decision makers in that organization? If you've done your persona work, you probably have a sense of what the ecosystem of the organization looks like. Who are those different people? We're not talking about building those personas here. We're just talking about who are they? Right? Who are the people in the organization you care the most about? Not all leads are equal. Some of those leads actually might be more valuable than others. You'd rather hear from the CIO than hear from the system engineer, but the system engineer at the right company, I would love to hear from them, right? Complete contact information. I mean, there's lots of great tools on the market that can help you get the right contact information, but if you don't have up-to-date phone numbers, if you don't have up-to-date email addresses, my biggest problem with a lot of database uh, you know, contact filtering tools is that if, if all of a sudden it says Joe Smith is no longer at this company, it'll go and update Joe Smith's contact information. I don't care about Joe Smith. I care about the company. What I really want is whoever had Joe's, ha now has Joe Smith's old job. That's the person I care about. So from a data cleansing standpoint inside your own database, you got to pay attention to that. Right? Most companies don't have a regular systematic way of updating their data. And yet we know that 2 to 4% of our databases in B2B deteriorate every month, right? At minimum, you need to have a quarterly or at least biannual twice a year program where you go and update your data. We do a lot of work with companies in the sales enablement space. And Joe talked about sales enablement being one of the most important jobs in modern marketing organizations. I couldn't agree more. One of that role is making sure the data is clean. And when we do sales enablement work, one of our best measures is sales productivity, how productive is your sales time? How much time are they spending actively selling? And how effective are they when they're actively selling? Most companies have no idea how much time their sales team is wasting by calling phone numbers that don't go anywhere, by calling phone numbers that go to a main office, and then they have to spend the next 10 minutes going through and trying to get to someone, and they leave a voicemail, but they still have no idea what that person's phone number is. Right? It'd be worth trying to calculate the amount of time people spend doing that on your sales organizations. You could do it one of a couple ways. I mean, you could literally sit and just watch them, watch them work and kind of like watch and you know, just calculate and you know, extrapolate what that means. Uh, there's a tool called Rescue Time if you want to see what kind of apps they're using, like how much time are they spending in CRM. We did a, we did a report with a company called uh, Highspot, and we, look, we, asked, we asked sales reps, what, time, what, what things do you spend the most time doing? And they most, uh, during a week. And the top three things that sales reps spend the most time doing not selling is uh, number one, updating CRM. Number two, creating content. And number three, looking for content. And we'll talk about content here in a minute. Those real-time data updates then become important. When you've got some new piece of information, how are you updating that in the system? When that comes from your data hygiene project or when that comes from the sales reps, what are you doing to make sure that's updated in real time? This becomes even more important in an ABM context. Someone just got a new job. Someone's in the new seat. Something changed in the organization. You want to know about that right away. Sometimes that change is a buying signal that you can follow up on and you can use. So where do you record that? This is a, this is a data management challenge that all of us have that I would argue that very few of us are spending time and attention on. Data is the silent killer of great marketing programs. How many of you are, I'm sure most of you are watching your open and click rates on your emails. How many of you are also watching your delivery rates? 
How many of your emails actually get delivered? Best practice is over 90%. At least, at least half the time we do, we do, we do an analysis to try to you know, look at what a new client or what a prospect's uh, delivery rate is, we'll find it'll be between 50 and 60%. They have no idea. They have no idea. They're just looking at clicks and opens and saying, well, they're doing A-B testing. But what if all of a sudden you could go from 60% to 90% just by cleaning up your data? You just grew your leads by 50% if everything else stays the same. And a consolidated engagement can be really, really important, especially when you're going after target accounts. Like, if we're no longer working in a world where we're just showering the sales team with leads and they're just following up with individuals and they convert some people and they don't convert others, if all of a sudden there's a set number of accounts that we care the most about, you have fewer at-bats, the risk is higher of sounding dumb, and so it's more important to have that engagement plan together. So, for example... Let's say the right person at the right company attends your webinar. Everyone gets really excited. We do a little bit of a happy dance. It's the best part of that movie. So how is your follow-up different for that prospect? Let's say you had 500 people register for your webinar, and you've got 300 people that, well, that's never going to happen. 500 people register for your webinar, about 200 people attend. Maybe 15 of those people are your real target prospects. Like, how are you treating them differently? How are you segmenting them in your follow-up? How are you segmenting them in Marketo, in your CRM, in the tools that you're using? Who does that? Is that a message that comes out from Marketo? Is that something that sales rep does? Is it something that you both do? But then in what sequence? Every time you send something to a group of prospects, it's an opportunity to further segment your data. Some people respond, some people don't. People respond in different ways. That behavior can change the way you now do follow-up. With your most important target accounts, the way that you follow up and what you follow up with is more important. It can come from marketing, it can come from sales, but you have to have a plan of how you're doing that together. You've got to think in terms of those micro and macro campaigns. Way too often in marketing, we focus on the email that's going out next Tuesday. We build our drip campaigns that go out to prospects no matter what. And they may stop if all of a sudden there's an opportunity, but what happens if someone engages with that prospect at a trade show? What if you're here today, for those of you that are vendors or agencies, what if you're here today and you talk to a prospect and you have a good conversation? How the hell is that going to be reflected in the drip campaign that person is getting? Again, the stakes are higher with our target accounts. We look dull when we don't coordinate those conversations. I'm pressing my laser. That's not going to move the slides. Shared data and insights. How many of you have a strong idea of what the buying signals are for your target accounts? Trigger events, buying signals that you care about. Some of those buying signals are very clear. It's someone who's looking for something. If you're waiting on, you know, if you're, if you're selling uh, Wi-Fi networks to enterprise companies, it'd be great if the CIO actually went onto Twitter uh, and said, hey, you know, we're, um, we're in the market for a Wi-Fi network. If anyone has something, I'd sure like to hear from you. That would be fantastic. That's never going to happen. What's more likely is someone from the organization is going to say, boy, our Wi-Fi sucks. Like, that's a buying signal, Right. Like you think about the buying stages, Serious Decisions has their six stages of buying journey. And the first stage is challenging the status quo. And the second stage is commit to change. So that status quo challenging, a lot of prospects just will do that on their own. They actually have a set of shared experiences that build up and that build up and that build up. And all of a sudden, those experiences become frustrating enough, they decide they want to do something else. What are the buying signals you can identify in the market that you know are going to lead to someone committing to change? And so instead of waiting for your prospects to understand what that is, you fast forward the conversation. You help your prospects qualify and quantify the cost of a problem that they may or may not have known that they had. You become the teacher. This is, this is core to the challenger sale, for those of you who read it. It's teach, tailor, take control. When you can tailor a teachable moment for your prospects, 
when you can take a buying signal that the prospect might not identify, but use that as a teachable moment for your prospect. We have two rules sometimes when we work with inside sales teams. Rule number one is when you're following up with a lead, unless the prospect asks you a specific question, you're not allowed to talk about your product or service. That's hard for a lot of salespeople. Rule number two is really more of a bar or precedent. When I've got salespeople that are talking to prospects, especially on the first call, I want that prospect after the call to lean back in their chair and say, wow, that was great. I would have paid for that, right? Think about that related to your content. Think about that related to your response to what your prospects are doing. With every engagement you can, how are you building value, enough value that it's irresistible? How are you building enough value that they would gladly pay for that, but you would gladly give it away all day long to the right prospects? What are the insights that you identify in the market that you would say, here's 100 companies And today, here's the 15 of those companies that I care the most about. Here's the 15 companies I want to sell to today. And starting tomorrow, there's a new insight. There's a new buying signal that you identify. How are you going to identify which of those, you know, how are you going to follow up on those? There's some great tools on the market. How many of you use RainKing? You're selling to IT. RainKing has a a service called Scoops. You can identify certain types of information you want, and they will send you alerts to your reps. There's a tool called First Rain. You can identify the companies you care about and identify the type of information from those companies that you care about, and it will send you alerts every morning of all the buying signals that are happening in those accounts. And just like with those micro campaigns, just like with the webinar follow-up, okay, that happens. What do you now do? Something just changed in your selling environment. Something just changed at one of your target accounts. Maybe you're the first person to notify the decision maker and the prospect about that happening. That's a teachable moment. That's something they may have paid for. That's a place where you can provide value, especially if you can have the follow-on conversation to help them think about what that means for them and what they should be doing next. I mean, think about what you can do as marketers. Think about what we can do as marketers in terms of enabling that conversation. You know, way too many sales teams left at their own devices. Thanks for downloading the white paper. Would you like to see a demo? The answer to that question is always no, right? So what if instead you said, hey, thanks for downloading the white paper. What about that white paper was interesting to you? Like, why did you download it? Why did you intentionally put yourself on our spam list so that you could get access to that PDF, right? Something's going on behind that, right? So you can have that conversation. That's more interesting. And that's a conversation that marketing can support. Marketing can write that message. Marketing can deliver that to sales. Marketing can help sales practice and become comfortable with that conversation. If you create that content, and you spend five minutes in a sales meeting read, you know, listening it off and reading it to your, your sales team and then hand them a piece of paper and send them back on the phones, they will fail. Because they're not used to having that kind of a conversation and because they have not practiced it. One of the biggest disservices we do to sales organizations and to our sales professionals organizations is we do not prioritize practice. You create a piece of music and when you give it to a world-class musician, you don't send them out on stage. You don't take a professional athlete who's been you know, off-season for three months and put them right into opening day. And yet we ask our sales reps to do that all the time. We give them new methodologies, we give them new leads, we give them new messages, and we ask them to practice in front of your most important prospects. Prioritize practice. Do it in role-playing, do it in individual situations. Give them time to become comfortable with the conversation. One of the biggest reasons sales organizations and salespeople have call reluctance is because they don't have confidence in the message they're about to deliver. They don't have comfortability with the message they're about to deliver. I've seen research, and I don't have it in here, that shows the vast difference in terms of organizations that don't have that comfortability, that don't have that confidence, that don't have that training and practice, and those that do. They're more productive. They're more effective. 
They're converting more in less time. Your content precision, a couple of things to think about related to this, getting the right content to the right prospect in the right place is really important. Thanks for downloading the white paper. Would you like to see a demo? Is taking people from step A to step D. If you're doing complex sales, if you expect that a deal is going to take six to nine months to convert, don't expect that a 15-minute phone call is going to go from white paper to demo. We can't ask prospects to sleep with us on the first date. I'm not going to take that analogy any further than that. But the next step of after that white paper may be further exploratory content. What's something else that is going to help them challenge their status quo? If you were to take all of your target prospects, any given industry, and this is, this is a spreadsheet that I don't have in here, but I've got it and I'm happy to send it to you. You take prospects in any given industry, in any given target, and you enumerate who the people are you care about. You've got the CIO, you've got the CFO, you've got the head of finance, whoever those people are. And then at the top of the spreadsheet, you list those buying stages, right? Challenge the status quo, commit the change, justify the decision. Each in each one of those cells, Start to enumerate what are the themes, what are the messages, what are the stories that you want to communicate? And what does it mean to graduate from the challenging the status quo to the commit to change, to commit to change stage? What's going to have to happen in the mind of your prospect to move from one stage to the next? Now, how do you translate those bullets into content? How does that now inform how you are moving prospects through the journey? Now, you will find prospects that are just like hair on fire and they just want to move as quickly as possible. Those are the exceptions to the rule. I realize most of us in the room, I am included. <laughs> My company is small, but we are doing a lot of this same work. We're doing ABM for ourselves. I'm not just the president of the hair club for men. I'm also a client. It's not Why are you? <laughs> nah, thanks. <laughs> Appreciate that. Thank you. That's good. Yeah, that threw me off my game too. <laughs> But like, we all want our deals to close faster. We all want deals to close now, right? That's just, you know, no matter how good your content is, no matter how good your process is, you are not going to change when the prospect's ready to buy. It drives me nuts when we talk to CMOs and they'll say, like, hey, listen, we need, we need the marketing department to have responsibility for pipeline. We need the marketing department to have responsibility for what, for what closes. And I'll get a CMO that'll say, well, I, that's, I, that's not fair. I can't have responsibility for what closes. I, you know, I don't control when the deal closes. How many of you are in sales? I know we got at least one. How many else is in the sales role in this room? Raise your hand if you're in sales and you control when the deal closes. No, if we're doing complex B2B sales, the prospect doesn't even control when the deal closes most of the time, right? So let's take control off the table and know that you have to establish a foundation of need. If you move people too quickly to here's what we do and have not established that foundation of why, you're, you've got a tenuous deal. Chatty prospects are not qualified prospects inherently. It's important to make sure people understand why they need it. You got to sell the hole before you can sell the drill. People don't go to Home Depot because they want to buy a drill. Most people go to Home Depot because they're trying to build something. They need a hole. They need what that hole represents. What is that for your prospect? That's the, that's the basis for that challenging the status quo stage of your pipeline. Unless you've got that sold first, they don't care about your product or service. But if they commit to change, if they commit to an outcome that makes them better, that is the most important part of the sales process. That is a process that marketing can embrace and control entirely. Real quick about content. Um, I am a firm believer that in general, salespeople should not be creating content. Sharing content, yes. Curing content, absolutely. But I want salespeople to sell. 
And I think that inherently us, we as marketers, we talk about that sales enablement role. We understand the buying journey. It is our job to understand the buying journey. It is our job to be disciplined and precise about what content we put in what stages of the buying journey. And it's our job to provide the sales team with proven, tested content that helps them sell better. I don't have the data yet. We're going to release it, I think, next month. But that data that shows how much time salespeople are spending creating content and looking for the right content. And when they finally give up, they just put 15 PDFs in an email and just hope the prospects will read the right one, right? I'm sure that's never happened to anybody in this room. So better content real quickly as I run out of time. Consistency. If you have good content, continue to use it. If marketing is not driving the right kind of content for sales, sales will keep rewriting the template over and over and over again. Causality, we talked about practice already. I'm going to keep moving. Really quickly on the OODA loop. Everybody heard of this? It's observe, orient, decide, act. From an ABM standpoint, again, we are reestablishing trust with our sales counterparts. We have trained them not to trust us. We've trained them that they are on their own at the end of the month while we go, while we go celebrate our retweet goal. As you establish that trust again, as you establish the same consistent definitions, consistent objectives, you will fail. Very few plans, very few well-laid plans survive first contact with the battlefield. Or as Mike Tyson famously said it, everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth, right? I'm sure everybody in this room goes back to work and you're going to get punched in the mouth. Campaigns are not going to work. You're not going to hit your number. You're going to miss your lead goal. Certain things aren't going to happen the way you want them to. Like, that's just part of the process. Your sales team doesn't hit their number all the time either. So as long as you realize that you're in it together... As long as you realize that this is part of the process and you're going to observe what happens, you're going to reorient yourself to what you learned, you're going to adjust, and then you're going to get back up, and you're going to play again. Those feedback loops require a couple things. Open communication is key. That foundation we talked about in terms of common definitions, common objectives is really important. I would highly encourage those of you that want to build a better relationship with your sales team to do two things. One, go sit in the middle of them more often. Literally just go find an open desk and bring your laptop and work and just listen and talk to people. You will learn way more that way than any kind of formal observation of sales calls or listening to recorded sales calls, I guarantee you. Also, if you want to learn what the sales team really thinks, don't put them in a conference room. Go out to beers with them afterwards. I worked at a startup for a while, and we were right, right across the parking lot from us was this bar. It was called the Pump House. It was basically the cafeteria for the office. Like, at lunch, it was full of our people. By 4.30, it was the salespeople doing nachos and pitches of Bud Light. If you go with them at their... By two and a half pictures later, you will hear what's really wrong with the sales process. You will hear what they really think about your leads. You'll learn far more about what to fix. You'll also gain their trust. That's an important part of this process. All right, if you want a copy of the book, the workbook, and most importantly, the bacon, let me know. Give me a card, send me an email, um, and that's it. Thank you very much. Flip My Funnel is on a mission to build the largest and most engaged community of B2B professionals in the world. Join the movement at flipmyfunnel.com. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Until next time.